welcome to Crafts and Crime. I'm Amy. I'm Elaine. And this is the second time we're recording this. Because <laughs> I'm still learning how to use my microphone. <laughs> it's okay. There's a lot of buttons and stuff to figure out. Because um, like I usually check all the controls, but then there's like stuff on our microphone. And like the first time we could not figure out what was up with our microphones and it was just backwards. <laughs> so now we know we got to add one more check to the list of our audio but yeah we try hard to sound good for you guys <laughs> do our very best yeah but we're not perfect it's not meant to be perfect no not at all because life is not but that was like really bad because i could barely hear you yeah <laughs> i knew there was something wrong but everything looked right until mm-hmm. i saw the little decibel switch on my side yeah so we figured it out and uh we have a lot of announcements this week um mm-hmm. one of which is patreon yay we decided to do a Patreon mostly for the extra bonus stuff. And there, right now, the first level is uh, called Mommy's After Hours. Yeah. And it's just us, like you said, what, chit-chatting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, after our topics, the little bits that don't necessarily fit in, that maybe not everybody wants to hear us have a conversation about the dumb thoughts that went through our head as we were doing our research and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Extra bits. It's just not necessarily going to be as appropriate as the rest yeah. of our conversations. There might might be a little bit more... Um, Potty mouth. Yeah, exactly. So if that's your jam, then you can... It's just like hanging out with us. us. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when we did a test run of our audio before we even started recording episodes, we were just getting set up and we recorded... What was it like? Like four, a half hour, yeah, something minutes like that of us, us just, just talking. Silly. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about ideas for the podcast and just yeah, we were just messing around and we sent it to what your sister <laughs> yeah, and I, I sent it to a friend, my, a couple friends. My mom, I'm not sure. Yeah, and mm-hmm. everybody loved us. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "You guys are so funny." So we're like, "Okay, we'll do that on Patreon. Just it's that extra stuff." Um, so yeah, we'll announce that on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram. We'll probably announce all that if you follow us already um, before then, because this won't be out until the 23rd and it's yeah. the second now. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we'll announce all that on social. Woo-hoo. And then do you want to announce our special arrival? Yes. Okay. We have a child for everyone. <laughs> we have the birth and arrival of our little buddy and our mascot, Crimey. Mm-hmm. He arrived at just 10 grams and eight (laughs) inches long. And he's the little drawing mannequin guy on our icon. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to be with us, hanging out with all of us and getting into nonsense. And we'll post some funny pictures of him. But yeah, he's our little buddy. He's everybody's little buddy. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I have ideas already on that. Imagine elf on a shelf but just destroying craft projects i think is probably what we're thinking <laughs> yeah or in mommy's after hours getting yes. into trouble <laughs> getting into my wine <laughs> we're gonna do like a find crimey for everybody <laughs> yes. maybe maybe we can do it really fun and do something silly for people yeah i know we have lots of ideas coming up so yeah. it's more than just a podcast if you want to do other stuff with us so yeah just stick around and and it'll be fun so I guess I will just go straight into our craft. Okay. So I am talking about spinning. Yay! So originally I had started researching something else and mm-hmm. then I realized like there's just so much more that could come before this. So okay. I decided to do this first. So the artist spinning fibers dates back all the way to about 20,000 years ago. There were some archaeological finds such as the evidence of string skirts. And there's also been some evidence of cords that were spun that date back to the Neanderthals about 41 to 52,000 years ago. That's super crazy. That's Mm -hmm. a super long time ago. Yeah. So plant fibers and animal fibers were used back then. So they would basically just get whatever was fibery, you know, and Mm -hmm. they would roll it between their thigh and or their leg, you know, on their hand. And then they figured out that like they could add weight to the bottom to help spin it. Mm, I guess so yeah yeah exactly I can totally see that being something you would do just sitting around you're like fiddling and like rolling between your Mm -hmm. fingers like whatever you just you know that's like kind of natural we sort of do that and then it like started to form that must have been so cool yeah and so I was thinking like we should totally try this with the angora fur Oh, that would be super fun. Yeah, because I raise Angora rabbits and other rabbits, but um, I have three right now, and one of them is pulling fur. 
um, for babies. Yeah. So usually I have to go in and, as you know, because Angora fur is so, like, long. Mm-hmm. They're the longer furred rabbits. So it can get very stringy. And I sometimes have to go in their nest and, like, cut it up. I think mm-hmm. you helped me one time with, like, cutting it up because it can oh, get. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can get wrapped around the baby's, like, foot. It's happened. Just their like human neck. babies. Mm-hmm. So it'll, Scary. like, cut off blood supply. So, yeah. So that fur, like, we should totally try. Like just the hand. That would be super fun. The hand. And we could record it for everybody. Yes. And that's where Patreon comes in. And that'll be another level um, where if you want to watch us do the stuff, then (laughs) you can go there. We will do it. (laughs) So the next form of spinning, you know, in history was the use of a spindle and distaff. And the spindle was usually a stick, like a long stick, about Mm -hmm. eight to 12 inches long. And it had like a notch to hold the fibers. Mm -hmm. And then the distaff was like a long stick where the like the unspun fur or whatever fibers uh-huh. was like held onto it to keep it in place. Oh, okay. And they would sometimes stick it in their girdle, like uh-huh. the women, to yeah. hold it in place because then they would just use one hand to pull it from oh. from the distaff and the spindle they would spin with the other hand. Okay. So it's like a two-hand process. Wow. Yeah. And there's some pretty cool pictures I found of like paintings of it and stuff. Ooh, so I'll post okay. that on the um, on our Instagram. Cool. And so they, yeah, would wind these up, like it would wind up onto the spindle and that's Mm -hmm. where like your yarn or your fiber is, or your, you know, spun fiber. Okay. So after doing it like this for a while, they realized that it was much easier to spin the fiber on the spindle when there was already like fabric or not fabric, the fibers spun on the spindle and that's because it added weight. Mm. So then they started adding a weight to the spindle and this is called a spindle whirl and it was typically like a disc of stone clay metal wood whatever like attached to the bottom so the same exact item used way back then just a more modernized version yeah so it's the same thing they were just like we're just going to add weight to the bottom Mm -hmm. and so it just helped spin it easier i think because there was weight to it it's not this like fiddly stick that you're just like oh i can't get it you know Mm -hmm. so that's why they were like oh it's got weight on it like when you're trying to untangle something and you hold it out and it drops yes exactly so that's they actually okay so they actually found in the neolithic era about twelve thousand years ago um these spindle whirls Mm -hmm. so they would attach the twisted fiber onto the spindle whirl and then twist the spindle lift it up and let it go and it would drop down and it would spin the fiber as it drops down and this is why it's also called a drop spindle a drop spindle yeah okay yes i totally know what that is from being in the sca back in the day with my mom if for people who don't know a lot of people don't it's called the society for creative anachronisms and they Mm. hang out and like pretend we're in medieval times and people would do that and i would watch ladies do that so i've seen it done yeah i watched a really cool youtube video and i'll link it in the show notes but um she just shows how she like uses the drop spindle and i'm like i always make it look so easy and i'm like yeah for sure and i get like clumps in there like it's not gonna be pretty (laughs) i drop it like straight onto the floor i wouldn't catch it in time so um so yeah that video was pretty cool when i watched it because i was like oh this would be pretty easy to do i guess when you're sitting there watching tv because you just literally like whoop, you could sit and do it mm-hmm. like and that's what she was your doing muscle memory you're not gonna have to like look at it and watch mm-hmm. it you're gonna feel it and just exactly <gasps> so relaxing yeah it was relaxing watching it i'm like that looks like fun <laughs> But that's just my crafty brain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the next art of spinning fiber was the use of a spinning wheel. And it's really hard to determine. Like, I couldn't find, and a lot of people don't know who mm-hmm. invented, like, who first invented the spinning wheel. Mm-hmm. But it's believed that it was originally invented in the Islamic world around 1030. Mm-hmm. And then it spread to China around 1090. Okay. So there's artwork depending, <laughs> depending, mm-hmm. disp- <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> depicting spinning wheels mm-hmm. in both islamic and chinese artifacts so we Those know amazing rugs and stuff yes <sighs> i know there's some pretty cool artwork i'm like man there's so many pictures i want to share um well we can and yeah everybody can. wants to look there's got to be people like us i want to oh, see yeah. it all too i mean you could just look it up like ancient you yeah. know islamic spinning wheels um and then so it was both in the Islamic and Chinese regions. And then it spread to Europe by the 13th century. And artwork in Europe uh, shows a spinning wheel was found like around 1280. Mm -hmm. So like those artifacts kind of show like, okay, it probably came around that time. So 13th century. Okay. 
In medieval times, poor families relied heavily on spinning their own fiber to make their own clothes. And usually, young single women or unmarried women mm-hmm. were the ones who were doing this all day. And that's where we get the term spinster. Because they had time to do it. Yeah. And it was not fun, I bet, when you have to do it. And so, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. yeah, the unmarried ones. So that's where the word spinster. I, I was like, I don't, I don't know why I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I told, I told Jack, I was like, I learned something when Yay. I was doing my research. So that's new to me. But there are different types of spinning wheels. There is the great wheel, which is also called the walking wheel because you kind of walk back and forth. You have to like spin the wheel with one hand and then you walk backwards and pull the fiber. Then you go forward and spin it. And so it's with a hand. So it means literally walking because you're walking, you're walking back and forth. And coming. Oh, okay. I wondered why. That's okay. Yeah. And that is a spinning wheel I have. We're going to learn. We will. So my spinning wheel, I scored off Facebook Marketplace for like a hundred bucks mm-hmm. and it's like from the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's really it. old. And yeah. so there's a lot that needs to be fixed on it. Sleeping beauty. Now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about that later too. Um, so yeah, this would this type of spinning wheel is mm-hmm. good for, it's called the long draw technique because longer fibers are used. Mm-hmm. So there's okay. different kinds of fibers. There is, okay, so there's two different kinds of spinning with two different lengths of fiber. Mm-hmm. There's woolen spinning, which is short wool, usually about like an inch and a half long. Mm -hmm. And then there's worsted spinning, which is long wool or mountain wool. And those are generally like 12 inches long. So kind of like. Like when you shear an alpaca or something. Yeah, or an angora. Yeah, they're really long. So that's. Long hairy sheep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's really good for the walking wheel that I have, which is perfect for the angora fur because it's longer. And I think because you have to pull it longer, you're not doing Mm -hmm. real short. Like you would just lose it, right? So. And the short fibers you're constantly having to feed in, mm-hmm. to feed in, feed yeah. in. Yeah. So Oof. the long draw technique would produce the worsted fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not great for like weaving like tight material, you know, because mm-hmm. the shorter material obviously gets you thinner and more precise. The I gotcha. The worsted that's like the type of yarn, you know, it's mm-hmm. like worsted weight or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. it's a little thicker. Um. So the oldest spinning wheel is the tabletop or floor charka, I think it's called. Okay. It's similar to the walking wheel because the wheels need to be turned with one hand while mm-hmm. the other hand holds the fiber. Mm-hmm. But you could like sit and do this. It's mm-hmm. like they could set it up on a table. And there's, once again, really cool pictures of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the ch- the charka is actually a symbol of the Indian independence movement. Oh, love it. Movement. <laughs> yeah. The, the wheel helped India become more like self-sufficient and producing their own clothing and other items. So they didn't have to depend on, you know, the British as like much. Like imported. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. So yeah, the chakra, charka, I'm probably saying that wrong. It played a large role in India gaining its independence and ending the British rule in India. Mm-hmm. They no longer needed them. Uh, so Leonardo da Vinci developed drawings that were then turned into the Saxony wheel in 1555 by Johann Jürgen in Germany. Fun. It's also called the flax wheel or the castle wheel. And this type of wheel helped spin flax fibers into linen. And using flax to make linen has been dated back to Egyptian times. I think I have flax flower growing in oh, my in my um, wildflower bed right now. I was just thinking like we should start because it's supposed to be really good for rabbits, the flax seed yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, man, we could do flax. So it's like in the stem. The fibers oh, okay, are like yeah, yeah. in the stem. So you have to like crush it and pull them out. Mm-hmm. Peel them. Ooh, my yeah. Goodness. Okay. We'll totally have to. So, yeah, so it dates all the way back to Egyptian times. And there's like, so there's paintings of flowering flax in like the temple walls. Mm. And the mummies, and the mummies, mummies were uh, embalmed using linen. Like they were covered yeah. in lim- linen. I'm having a problem with my words. That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so Egyptian priests only wore linen because it was considered pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, I want to grow flax now. <laughs> like if the I flowers can. are cute. The, I was just going to say yeah. the flowers are so pretty. Yeah. So anyways, in the 14th century, the Chinese developed an automatic water-powered spinning wheel. Whoa. And, and yeah, and this helped spin fibers much faster and more efficiently. And then, of course, the Industrial Revolution came out with many new inventions. 
Uh, they just wanted to speed up the process. Mm, and of in, course. <laughs> yeah. In 1738, Lewis Paul and John Wyatt patented the roller spinning machine and the flyer and bobbin system. And this allowed more wool to get, um, like, produce fat. Like, it made a thicker yarn. Okay. So two sets of rollers moved at different speeds and then the yarn was twisted and spun like really fast okay i can totally envision that Mm -hmm. too gotcha so in 1771 richard uh, arkwright invented the water frame which used water wheels to power looms to produce cotton cloth so obviously as we know like cotton became like very popular it wasn't just linen and like Mm -hmm. animal fiber so Mm -hmm. then cotton uh, obviously, over time, the production of fibers like has totally improved and is now just done primarily by machines. Mm-hmm. But you can still find hand spun like alpaca, sheep, angora, like wool. You could buy it in bulk and spin it yourself if you yeah. want to. Um, many people take it and like dye it or you know just leave it natural and they make like yarn and sell it on Etsy. I've seen it on Etsy like all over. And the I'm artisan like, world is coming up mm-hmm. and people are really learning to appreciate these types of things and pay that little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with just your acrylic yarn, but it's a labor of love that you're paying for because let me tell you, having to wash out the lanolin from yes. animal yeah. fur is caustic and really it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work and the cost of sheared wool actually is worth less than the bag they bag it in that's it's crazy, crazy. Yeah. yes because my um my mom and sister and stepdad used to live on a farm and the landlord had sheep mm-hmm. and um we talked to him about it and i think like this is a terrible estimate farmers you can let me know but it was something like for ease of math like the bag cost him 20 bucks to mm-hmm. hold you know like we're talking like it's an eight foot long bag it's a huge Mm -hmm. bag and the weight of the wool inside was worth like 12 (laughs) that's crazy crazy. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i found an alpaca farm near us because like i would have an alpaca if i could but we have a little suburban (laughs) (laughs) backyard we can't do that i know Um, i love them but they're herd animals yeah so you have to have like over three or five it's crazy yeah they're not cheap (laughs) no yeah so that's why i'm like we'll just go to the alpaca farm and i already looked at like prices and stuff so mm-hmm. that's what i was looking at before i even got my angora rabbits for oh, yeah because i bought my spinning wheel mm-hmm. i don't even know i was just like i'm gonna learn this and i found the spinning <laughs> wheel and jack went and picked it up for me and then i was like i'm searching for alpaca farms and i found one and so i'm like we just need to go and then we never did Aww. and then my spinning wheels just sitting in my bedroom it's cool it comes apart yeah so I don't have to keep a giant spinning wheel. <laughs> but cool. I remember a friend came over and she was like, what do you have in your bedroom, Amy? That like weird. the big wheel. <laughs> the big, it was just the big wheel. And she was like, what is that? Okay. And she's like, tell me you didn't buy. <laughs> it was Sarah. And I was like, Giant yes, wagon did, wheel. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, of course you did. And I just had to show my mom one part of the, of the spinning wheel. And she already knew. She's <laughs> like, you bought a spinning wheel. I'm like, yes. Usually if okay. I like want to try something new, I just do it. We will do it. We will do it. (laughs) So finally, you know, wrap this up. Some fun Mm. and interesting facts or things. Hit me. So spinning wheels are seen in literature and folk tales, Mm -hmm. as you know. Think about like Rumpelstiltskin, where he imprisoned a woman until she could spin straw into gold. And then, as you said, Sleeping Beauty where Briar Rose pricks her finger on the spindle. Yeah. But it's funny, though, because a spindle is not sharp. You can't prick <laughs> no. your finger on a spindle. That it's like, I should have grabbed my spindle over here. It's like dull because you don't want to, like, get it all caught up in your right, yarn. Right, exactly. Or Wait. poke yourself. <laughs> exactly, because you kind of have to going have your and finger. You're going back and forth all the yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but the actual wheel that was used in the Disney movie is a Saxony wheel. The one cool. that has a pedal. So like okay. a Saxony mm-hmm. wheel has a pedal. And um, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, yeah, she also wrote a bunch of short stories and called them spinning wheel stories. And they were meant to be read to the person who was doing the spinning so that they could be entertained. While oh, that's spinning. cute. So, I love that. Yeah. And that's all about wheel so we have yeah just starting with rolling it on your hands something that i'm sure like you know anyone can do at home Mm -hmm. 
sitting watching TV. I'm not like I'm rubbing my leg. I'm like I want some fiber. I keep fiddling. I have my a hands bag back of and forth. I have a baggie of Angora fur somewhere. Like yeah. when they like there were some I gathered when we first got them. So I'm like I want to see. We're just here. gonna twiddle it. <laughs> twiddle, exactly. Twiddle. So they're gonna be like worry stones for these <laughs> for my story coming up. Oh, I know. Okay, I'm. Are you I know ready? you. I know. I'm ready. I know you've been working really hard on this one. Okay. My story is on the Corpsewood Manor murders. Corpsewood Manor murders. Doesn't it sound spooky? It does. It almost sounds like a, a game. Like, <laughs> it does. It does. It's a really good name. Mm-hmm. So we're starting off in Wisconsin. Dr. Charles Scudder was born October 6, 1926 in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. He had a really wealthy family. They all went back as being like doctors, surgeons, mm-hmm. pharmacists. Um, he was an accomplished painter and a professional harpist. He had multiple languages, um, degrees, a degree in zoology, and he eventually got his PhD in pharmacology at Loyola University, where he became a professor. And he ran the director. He ran the director. He ran the boy. Today is just our day. It's not our it? word day. <laughs> The day we have to say all the words. He's the director of the Institute for Mind, Drugs, and Behavioral. And specifically, he studied LSD. It was, by then, it was in the times, you know, it was Mm -hmm. the 40s and 50s. And, you know, so he really liked his job. He was quoted just saying, it was a good job. He was a super kooky, eccentric guy. We're talking the 60s. And he had, he would dye his hair purple (gasps) or red and like he, he had a yeah, right and he had a pet monkey and oh he my god take his monkey to work do you remember when jack's dad wanted to get a monkey i think we told you about that yeah my yeah. mom wanted a monkey oh, when i was a no kid way. too um the university stopped funding his work because it was like you know the refurb madness and mm-hmm. lsd times mm-hmm. and they were realizing like people can't control their behaviors and so they stopped funding it and he didn't need the job he didn't need the money so on his 50th birthday he retired he resigned technically and he took 1200 doses of lsd with him because he technically owned it made it and okay mm -hmm. so there's not a lot in his early life he had two failed marriages and after those divorces he had custody of all four of his sons and they moved to actually a frank lloyd wright mansion oh really yes and it had a giant pink gargoyle on top it was pretty cool (laughs) and it was like really run down and raggedy but he loved it he loved the open spaces he had a lot of large antiques and stuff Mm -hmm. so he needed a housekeeper for his kids and himself, and so he had hired a man named Joseph Odom. He liked to be called Joey, and the couple fell in love, but they had to keep it secret because for the kids and also just the times in general. Oh, okay, yeah. But their close family, like their close friends and family knew. And um, So Joey was born March 27th, 1938. His life was pretty uh typical but then he dropped out of school in the fifth grade which is really strange yeah and so at that point you know it's like 1944 no i'm sorry maybe 48 and he turned to you know lives of crime and when you drop Mm -hmm. out of school at fifth grade like what the heck are you gonna do Mm -hmm. um and he ended up in jail pretty young but he turned his life around and he learned to cook and that's what his job was he became a chef so okay so that's how he was hired on that's how he got hired um so around the they were together for you know years and in the early 70s charles is really into reading mother earth news and i have those magazines okay and they decide yeah yeah most Mm -hmm. people who do like farming and urban homesteading and stuff Mm -hmm. have them and i have a whole bunch still which is funny um they both realized they wanted to escape the life of bills electric bills Mm. all the bills that go Mm -hmm. along with that and that's not what they wanted anymore so they purchased 40 acres of land in chattooga county georgia and it was a long trail that headed up to where they eventually build their property and heading Mm -hmm. up the trail there it was closed off by the body of a dead horse and (laughs) at the time of the at the time of year all the trees were dead around there and corpsewood manor is born (gasps) 
So that's oh, where they got the name because they were okay. like artistic and eccentric. But why the dead horse? I don't know. I think it's, I think someone probably put their horse out of their misery out in the forest, oh, like away so like, from. Just left I think it? so, oh, or got so away weird. and died. Yeah. So, brick by brick, they hand built a little castle together. That's crazy, and it had a little farm patch. They grew almost all their own food and all their own fruit and grapes because they like to make their own wine Mm. and there was no electricity the heat was only from a wood-burning wood stove Mm -hmm. and they had a chemical outhouse toilet outside outside of the house they built this what we call an outbuilding and it was three stories tall a matching little castle building three stories (laughs) tall the bottom floor is a chicken coop Ah. the second floor is uh, canned food storage and pornography. Oh my gosh! Why are the why do those I go know, together? Right? And then the third story is they call the pink room or the pleasure room. Oh god, this got gross. And real fast. it's the entertainment room um, because they actually just don't <laughs> right allow over, people right in right their over main the chickens. house. Exactly right, <laughs> but they don't let people in the main house. So oh, this okay. is actually just the hangout room in general. But mm-hmm. there is a lot of sexual things that do happen oh, there. Okay. Um. So. When they left the mansion, they left almost everything behind. Mm. They took a few, a um, handful of antiques and like Charles Harp, but they pretty much did not leave with much. But the big giant pink gargoyle came with them. Oh, it did. And it topped <laughs> the front of the house. And that was like a cool thing that mm-hmm. people would notice. One of the other things he added to his house was um, a he handmade this stained glass window. And in the middle was a depiction of Buffomay. So for people who don't know, Charles <laughs> was a member of the Church of Satan. Oh. And um and so basically they were they were living there for six or seven years and in that time they are out in the middle of the forest and poor kids would go cruising and driving around and hiking and they would find the house and so these rumors would go around of like, let's go sneak up to the scary mm. mansion where the homo- homosexual devil worshippers yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. And they would go and they would be greeted happily by Charles and Joey <gasps> and offered wine and they would get to hang out and sit. They had two really big English mastiffs named Beelzebub and Arzanoff. Oh, so gosh. they would all hang yeah. out. So, I mean, it was the typical, like, don't judge a book by its cover. It was not a thing that was talked about so they weren't they were like evil nice. people horrible no, people yeah no. it was just they had that's different... something we'll talk about in mommy's after hours but yeah they were good okay. people and you know it's just a very huge misconception of how people treated them it's just yeah. um, a choice well that they for the made. time yeah. mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. and even for the time now people are judged for that mm-hmm. as well so in this the teenagers coming to scope out places people would also show up and ask for permission just to go hunting on the around the area and they would happily give permission for people to do that and Mm -hmm. one of the people that did come to do that his name was kenneth avery brock and he liked to go by avery he was born in 1965 in walker county georgia his dad died when he was about seven besides that he ended up with a really abusive stepdad Mm. um and Right before he graduated from high school, he dropped out just because he wasn't doing well anyway. And his mom kicked him out and he became homeless. But he was a pretty good worker and he would keep up. He would try to Mm -hmm. do his best. He would do any odd jobs that he could find. And Mm -hmm. um, at this time, we're doing some work in a trailer park. He meets uh, Samuel Tony West. and He goes by Tony. So that's how I'll refer to him. Okay. They become friends because Tony's dad is also not alive. Um, Tony West was born on August 11th, 1952. I know we're just moving on through here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. The um, He struggled growing up. His dad was injured in a train accident before he was even born. There's not specifics on that, but mm-hmm. he ended up with really crippling, debilitating back injury. So um, his mom stayed home to take care of the kids, and his dad kind of did what he could, but they lived off disability. So mm-hmm. they were, um, you know, kind of unfortunate in circumstance. And then his dad dies when he's 10. Oh, and so now his mom has all the burden and his life is becoming harder. So when he's 13, he accidentally shoots and kills his two year old cousin. They were playing with a gun. (gasps) And even though it was accidental, he was sent to a psychiatric facility until he was 18. And 
you know, those places aren't easy for anyone, let alone a child in those developmental years who just Mm -hmm. made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who knows how that contributed. So when he gets out of there, he goes to crime. You know, he doesn't have any job experience. And so he turns to crime, theft, drugs, getting into fights, you know, Mm -hmm. petty crimes, getting arrested for those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Around 1979, he gets married and um, he gets into a fight with his brother-in-law and he shoots him. What? Four times. What? The guy lives. Oh, God. Yeah, the guy lives. And so, (laughs) yeah, he turns himself in because he's like, obviously, he's going to tell. And when he's arrested, the police realize he's already an escaped convict from a penal farm in Georgia already for some other crime. Oh, for like another different crime. crime. Yes. Oh. So he gets three years in prison for shooting his brother-in-law, but they didn't even add on the time served for the years that he was on the run. It was crazy. I'm not sure why they did that. So his wife is tired of him and she divorces him. And uh, so he has to move to a trailer park. And we're just moving right through. 1982, it's November. Avery and Tony are just going to go hang out at Corpsewood. They're now pretty friendly with Charles and his partner, mm-hmm. Joey. And they're going to go hang out and get drunk for free because they would always offer their guests wine. And yeah. It was no problem. There was nothing expected, you know. Yeah. So they go over there to hang out and they're up in the pink room because, again, you know, they don't let people go into the main house. Mm-hmm. And Charles starts to perform a sexual act on Avery. Okay. And... It, it just goes along without a hitch. You know, nobody says anything. He asks Tony, like, if he's into it. Tony says, no, thanks. And they leave. Mm, so, so they leave the two of them. Yeah. They, they leave. Like, and then here. when they're all done, yeah, <laughs> they leave. And Tony and Avery are in the car. And he is freaking out telling Tony, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. This has never happened before. Oh. And Tony's okay. kind of just like, okay, I'm pretty sure you're, you're comfortable here. And he didn't judge him for that. But. Mm-hmm. As Avery's continuing this rant, he's finally like, we should just kill them. <gasps> he says, we should just kill them. And then we could live in their house for free because they live out there. And, you know, it's just the two of them. So we could probably live there for a while. Nobody okay, wait, know. let me clarify. So yeah. the two guys that came mm-hmm. and the two guys that live there. Yes. One of the guys that lived there did something to one of the guys that came over. Yes, okay. Charles. Okay. Yes, Charles gave oral sex oh, okay. to Avery oh, up in the pink room because oh, they okay. had sex parties. so that's it was why a comfortable he's thing for freaking out because yeah because his friend like... saw and he's feeling ashamed oh, trying to pretend okay. like it's never happened before yeah. and he's so, trying like I said, to... there's so many names yeah, i'm like i want to make sure no, no, no i'm just yeah. i want to make sure i'm and yeah following it correctly one of the things that he's trying to say is like oh he got drunk and t- took advantage of mm, me now mm-hmm. which that is absolutely you have every yeah. right to have been uncomfortable at it but tony is also pretty sure that this has happened before mm-hmm. and he's trying to save face mm-hmm. um they think that, you know, they have that big giant castle and they have a bunch of antiques in their house. Like, there's absolutely got to be money there. Mm-hmm. So we can kill them, rob them, live there, do whatever we want. And it's going to be a long time before people realize. Oh, yeah, because they're just in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. They're just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, and they only run errands, like, once every six to eight weeks. Okay. So they don't need to leave very often. They're always there. Um, a few days later, they drive back and they're ready. They're ready to do this. Oh, and Tony, like... yeah, they're ready. And Tony says, hey, did you bring a gun? And he just tells him, no, I brought this big knife. And Tony's mentioning to Avery, what about the dogs? There's those two huge dogs. Oh, For yeah. people that don't know, you can Google it, but an English Mastiff is like a 150-pound dog. I always think a quite... Mastiff is massive. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're huge. <laughs> so I know any Mastiff is like close to what like 100 pounds or huge yeah, yeah. at least mm-hmm. um so they realize that maybe this isn't the greatest idea right now and so they leave mm-hmm. and a few days later avery goes to his mom's house and he founds a 22 caliber rifle that used to belong to his dad and he takes it steals it you know mm-hmm. who knows if she wanted him to have it and um so he's got it now and he's ready december 12th 1982 um, Tony and his nephew Joey. Now we have two Joeys. Oh, I'm okay. always going to refer to him as nephew Joey. Nephew It'll just Joey. be easy. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tony, his nephew Joey Wells, and his date for the day. Her name is Teresa Hudges. This is nephew's Joey's date. Teresa mm-hmm. Hudges and Avery all get in the car and they're going to go, and they're just telling 
uh, nephew Joey and Teresa, we're just going to go hang out up at Corpsewood and just drink. You know, mm-hmm. hang out and drink. And um, so everyone's fine with that. And they drive up. They go to the pink room immediately. Everybody starts drinking. And they also really like to huff glue, which is really gross. Ew. Yeah. So everybody's, you know, completely zonked. And so Avery's able to sneak out, goes to the car, gets the rifle. And he comes back and he immediately pulls the knife on Charles, holds it to his throat. And he, you know, is telling him, don't move or I'm going to slit your throat. He cuts up pieces of sheets from one of the mattresses in the pink room and he ties up Charles by the wrists. Okay. And he's immediately screaming, you know, where's your money? Where's you've got to have money hidden away. People live on off living off grid. You're not going to keep your money in the bank. Yeah. Like, I know you Mm -hmm. have it here. And Charles is telling him, like, there's nothing here. I promise we don't have anything here. And they didn't. Yeah. Um, Avery gets really angry and he leaves and goes down to the main house and um, Joey is in there just cleaning up dinner from cooking for everybody. Oh, yeah. And so he doesn't realize and Avery has the gun pointed at the back of his head. He turns, he gets startled, he makes a run for it and he is shot in the left arm and in the back of the head. Um, it doesn't say which dog ran up. They look identical, but one of the dog runs up and he shoots at the dog and both of them run away. Oh. Um, he goes over to Joey's lifeless body on the floor and he shoots him two more times in the head just to oh, make like sure. Just to, oh mm-hmm, my God. to double check, yeah. Okay. Um, Avery now goes back to the pink room and Tony, Teresa, nephew Joey, and they all carry Charles out to the main house now because they've mm-hmm. got to carry him down the flights of stairs oh, that's right and then out and so to the main house and they avery finds the living dog kills the living dog and oh, then no. i know and then shoots the dead dog again just to make sure tony is now questioning charles and he's you know same thing where's the money it has to be here yeah he tells him you know hey i need a soldering iron for probably some torture or stuff oh, no. And Charles is like, dude, we don't, we don't have, have electricity. electricity. Exactly. We don't yeah. have electricity. What are you talking about? Why would have we have indoor plumbing? Why would we have that? Yeah. And so he's kind of getting tired of what's going on. He can see Joey partially from where he was at. So he gets up. He's still tied up. He gets up off the couch and he starts crawling towards oh, Joey's no. body on his knees. Oh, no. And at this point, Tony is just like, well, I don't think they have anything. And so he tells him, hey, I'm going to shoot you. And Charles does not listen. He keeps going. And um, Tony shoots him in the back of the head. And he falls over into like a bookcase kind of on one knee. Mm-hmm. And then Tony walks over and shoots him directly in his right temple. <gasps> oh, my God. So Avery and Tony now, they're running around the house trying to find. They're stealing some antiques, anything that looks valuable at all. When there really wasn't much. So they're mm-hmm. pretty pissed. They come back to find Charles is still alive. And so Tony shoots him three more times. And then he takes a silver engraved bracelet, a diamond ring, and a gold medallion necklace um, that were all on him, just snatches him off. Um, uh, Yeah. And it's almost worse to, like, steal stuff off a dead person. Exactly. It's, like, way worse, I think. Yeah. And um, in the process of Avery running around the house, he finds um, some handcuffs and a 22 caliber revolver. And then he takes the keys out of Charles' pocket to his Jeep. Okay. So they're ready. They're ready to go. And they leave in Tony's car and it freaking wrecks and just a little bit like in a ditch. Oh, so they have yeah. to use the Jeep. They tow it out. It's making them take longer. Yeah. To get out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um. Tony is driving his car and Avery has the Jeep. They're driving it out. And this is so funny and stupid. Tony sells his car to his nephew, Joey, for $7. Like all the money he had in his pocket. (laughs) And he promises like he'll give him some more money later. And I believe the amount was like $67. It was so strange. Uh. And Teresa wants to call the police. She didn't participate except for... She's probably like, I'm just on a date. Yeah. So Teresa wants to call the police. And uh, nephew Joey does not want to do that because he doesn't want to get his uncle in trouble. And Mm -hmm. he knows he'll go to prison probably forever. So Joey's mom drives Teresa home. And Teresa breaks down. And she tells her everything that happened. The mom agrees with her son. So she says, hey... 
uh, you're going to come stay with us. So they go pick up Teresa's two-year-old kid. Oh, and no. they are essentially like forced her, like, to stay at the Wells house now. Just and so she's she locked in a anything. room for oh, four days gosh. to keep her there. So she won't say anything while they're trying to figure out like, oh, my God, what do we do? So Avery and Tony tell their family that they're going to go to Florida. But instead, they take the vehicles and they start heading for Mexico. Okay. Um, they pull into a rest stop, um, and it's in Louisiana. And when they wake up in the next morning, it's just them and a single car parked next to them. There's mm-hmm. a man inside. He's sleeping, and um, it's U.S. Navy Lieutenant Kirby Phelps. So they realize they need a car that nobody knows is missing or taken. So he gets the revolver, and he knocks on the window. Kirby Rolls down the window and he says, hey, it's fine. Take whatever. You know, it's mm-hmm. no problem. I don't care. Take the car, whatever you want. So Tony handcuffs him and he takes him out to the woods at the end of the rest stop area. He unlocks one hand because he's going to like wrap his arms, I guess, around a small tree. Okay. And Kirby punches him. So Tony shoots and kills him immediately. Oh, no. He shoots him three no. times in the head. I'm not even sure. He didn't say if he had planned on doing this either. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that was his intention right away. I'm sure probably. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you at this point? So he they leave his body right there, one handcuff on the hand, just leave mm-hmm. him there. They steal his wallet and the keys to his car. And so um Tony is gonna drive Kirby's car and Avery is driving the Jeep. So he abandons the Jeep in a secluded area and they get in um, Kirby's vehicle. Okay. So December 15th, two men are metal detecting first Civil War relics. It's their hobby and they think that they see like a mannequin. And There's never a mannequin. Yeah. And so they go over and they see the lieutenant's body and they drive to a gas station to use a payphone and they call the police. Yeah. So the crazy coincidence that exact day, December 15th, a friend of Charles and Joey shows up to the house. His name's Raymond Williams, and he's going to tell them that a mutual friend has passed away. Oh. But as soon as he pa- he pulls up to the house, he sees the Jeep is gone. If the mm-hmm. Jeep is gone, that means they're both gone on their monthly errand trip. Uh-huh. So he says, oh, I'll just come back the next day. He comes back the next day. The Jeep is still gone. Uh-huh. Which is, is completely out of character. Out of character. Yeah. So he now comes up to the front door and he immediately sees it's a little bit open and there's visible bullet holes in the door in the door frame. So he leaves and he calls police immediately. And when they come in, they find Charles and Joey's bodies and Beelzebub and Azeroth pretty close by all together. So 600 miles away at this same time, it's so crazy it's happening at the exact same time. They locate Charles's Jeep in Tallulah, Louisiana. Uh-huh. So from where they were in Georgia to Tallulah, it's so close. It was pretty easy for them to to match stuff up because they are looking for Charles' Jeep at this point. Uh-huh. They find the Jeep, so they're searching it as a crime scene, and they find some of those twenty two caliber bullets that mm-hmm. were used. So now they're thinking, uh, the this has to be connected to the lieutenant as well. So they're realizing, oh "Oh my gosh, there has to probably be more than one killer at this point. Yeah. They they start to piece it together. It's connected. So the next day, December 16th, Teresa manages to get away from the Wells house and she gets to a payphone and she calls her uncle. She tells her uncle what's going on. Her uncle picks her and nephew Joey up and he takes them to the police station and they tell them everything Mm. um so joey's finally like i'm gonna talk yeah i think it's at this point there's there's no hiding it anymore yeah and she was literally held Mm -hmm. at his home so it's like either it's you're gonna get in trouble (laughs) if you don't say something exactly you're gonna get in worse trouble if you don't say anything yeah so they they tell and the arrest warrants are immediately issued for tony and avery by now they are um going towards uh texas and Mm -hmm. they are running out of money and they're getting real tired of each other at this point um and so they figure you know what let's just split and avery hitchhikes until he can get to a payphone and he calls for his mom to come pick him up Mm -hmm. again crazy coincidence because their arrest warrants have just been issued 
almost immediately after his mom gets off the phone with him, the police call her. <gasps> so she tells him where he's at. So yeah. instead of his mommy coming to pick him up, whoop, whoop, it's the police yeah. are coming to get yeah, him. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. So, so they um, pick him up and he immediately gives them uh, Lieutenant Phelps' Navy ID card. Because at mm-hmm. this point, he's a John Doe. Oh. I'm sorry, because the wallet, he has no identification That's on his right. body. That's right, because so, they took everything. Mm-hmm. So now they can positively identify him, and they call who they need to call for mm-hmm. him. Just a few days later, broke and completely alone and pity partying himself, um, Tony is just, he's resigned to just driving back to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, he's going to get caught or not, he doesn't care. He drives back, and the car breaks down a half a mile or oh, I'm sorry, one and a half miles or 2.4 kilometers from the Georgia border in Chattanooga, Tennessee. <sighs> because of this, this was the final straw. He leaves the car and it's pouring rain and he <sighs> walks. The first thing he sees is a bar and there's a cop car in the uh, parking lot. Uh-huh. He goes right up to him and he says, quote, go ahead, take me. And the officer's like, what? What are you talking what about? What are you doing? Exactly. I have yeah. no idea who you are. So he runs his name and information and there's no warrant for Texas. And so oh. Tony explains to him and he agrees to drive him over the border into Georgia so he can turn himself in. Mm-hmm. When they get there, they, in fact, confirm that information that he does have a warrant out for the crimes he said. But they're worried about the legality of taking him across the state lines from Tennessee to Georgia. Uh So the officer drives him back to Georgia, literally over the line, so he can walk over of his Uh own free will to an officer waiting to arrest him immediately. That makes sense, I guess. Because they just don't want to take any risk. Yeah, no chances. Yeah. Yeah, that could totally screw everything up. Yeah, exactly. So they don't want to have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Avery, at this point, is actually already being charged and they want to try him as an adult uh-huh. and so they also want the death penalty oh, wow. and he's offered a life sentence in exchange for a guilty plea and he takes it because mm-hmm. he doesn't you know he's young he's only 17 years oh, old that's right he's yeah. only 17 mm-hmm. you don't you don't want to die i mean at least in prison you still have a life i guess so he mm-hmm. accepts it and tony pleads not guilty and it's going to go to trial now and his defense is so ridiculous he says that he was protecting himself against the demons and the satanic what? rituals inside oh of the gosh. house. Please. Yeah, he would say that the furniture would glow and that all this stuff. Is he trying to get like an insanity? I don't. Or well, it sounds crazy, but I'm not sure. And they they think it's ridiculous because now what's happening is defense is pushing that Avery and Tony's drinks were laced with the LSD because during the investigation, oh, they found yeah. three vials of the LSD. Mm-hmm. One of them was unopened and full. Um, the other was half full and one was completely empty. Mm-hmm. Well, prosecution had the glasses and all the wine tested and everything had no LSD residue yeah. on it at all. Yeah. So that, you know, was thrown out. And then Avery testified against Tony because like oh, he's yeah. already in jail for life. And, and he already. Yeah. Because he pled guilty. So and so like, they I know got nothing to hide now. Exactly. So and he, I'm not going to let him get away with it. <laughs> and I, Exactly. So. He testifies against Tony that they had planned it. Mm -hmm. They had planned it. Not a huge amount of time, but it was definitely premeditated. Yeah. It wasn't just let's rob them. It was let's kill them and rob them. Yeah. So. Yeah, because they had gone there before. Didn't have a weapon. And left. And then came back. Yeah. So um, he's charged with all three counts of first degree murder and Mm -hmm. he's sentenced to death. Oh, wow. But the conviction is completely um, thrown out because there was an issue with Tony's indictment. It doesn't say what it was, but apparently the judge was completely aware of of it. And so the case is thrown out. What? And they have to do a retrial. Oh, gosh. But, you know, let's be real. When stuff has gotten out in the news, even though you were supposed to have a completely unbiased opinion, I he know. knows I, he's going to be found guilty. Right? I'm sure like, it was the given judge a different knew. judge. Yeah. The judge knew as well. Yeah. That's what I always wonder because, like, you know, there's a lot of people that follow, you know, local crime or whatever. And mm-hmm. and how 
especially now when everything's like right at your fingertips how hard oh, would that sure. be to like the jury of your peers yeah that, and now everybody knows that read it on guilty, facebook because it sure. scrolled yeah. by yeah. You yeah. Know? now it's definitely different but even in then i'm sure it was in the newspapers already oh yeah so um so he knows he knows it's not going to be good for his retrial and he just pleads guilty mm-hmm. um he's sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole and mm-hmm. at this time Tony is still alive in Wilcox State Prison in Abbeville, Georgia, and Avery is still alive in Coffee Correctional in Nichols, Georgia. Wow. And that's the story of that. It's really sad, super unfair, just two people trying to live their best life. I mean, the, the wild sex parties and all that stuff, that's... But you know, their own. But that's, you that's, do you. Yeah. Just they weren't hurting anybody. Exactly. They were adults consenting. And someone, they're just trying to live in as much peace as possible. And yeah. they did not get that. I know. When you were talking about their life, I'm just thinking like, oh, man, that's what I want. It, it would so be good. so nice to be able to grow our I mean, own I don't want everything. a chemical outhouse. No. <laughs> no. I do want indoor plumbing and yeah, electricity, but I don't want to Although living for it. here, we could take a shower outside until like October. Seriously. <laughs> it was so hot last week. It was in the mm-hmm. 90s. Yeah. It was, I, it was and, like 94. Yeah. It was so hot. But yeah, I, I'm. that's another reason why I'm like, no, I can't live off the grid mm-hmm. with unreliable electricity. I feel like you're powering your own stuff. Like that Homestead Rescue show that we yes. watched. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm like, yeah, me too. But I would love to do that, but it's not for everyone. So the no. fact that they were just like living their life off grid, basically, mm-hmm. you know, doing their own thing. And they were nice enough that people knew they could come around. And Yeah, they were well, they welcomed anybody. Yeah, it's sad. And they welcomed the wrong people. Yeah, that is really sad. It makes you cautious about being nice to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, just even yeah. hearing that, because I'm like, well, I'm I'm not mean to no. anyone that I can <laughs> yeah. think of. It's just, no. So... Wow, that's really sad. Mm. Uh, Poor puppies. It's all so sad. Why? But that is just like, and apparently the dogs didn't even come up to attack them. They knew them. They were probably just barking. Like, what is happening? They just ran up, like, what's going on? And oh, it's all sad. It's always, isn't it? It's like, I'm really sad about the dog. It's really really sad sad. about them. It's all sad because it was also completely unnecessary. Who the dog's going to tell? And the fact that he was like crawling towards him, trying to Towards his partner to be. I think he knew. He knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, So so he he probably knew he was going to die too and wanted to be with him. That's so sad. It was very sad. They finally got to live the life they wanted out of this you know awful speculating eyes yeah. of and all his times. sons were like out, out of the house mm, yeah so it's wrong. like the gold, the, what are they called the golden years like the yeah. best years of your life is just like you... drinking wine and having sex yeah and growing food <laughs> seriously that's what i want to do <laughs> should have been in mommy's after hours. i know sorry i was <laughs> this I was is gonna be early. the sneak <laughs> peek <sneaky>. people <laughs> well you did really good thank you so yeah. did you thanks Okay, well, with that, stay crafty and not grimy. Bye. Bye.